by playback. And now, live, real red meat radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Never apologize. For being patriotic. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday. Hope you all had a good Super Bowl weekend. I I don't watch the game. It's not a have anything wrong with it, but frankly, uh, all this spectacle and a game where the cheapest seats are seven or eight thousand bucks a piece, just not my kind of thing. But in any case, I know we'll probably get some comments on that. You'll probably also hear me talk about the fact that the shooting at Lakewood Church near Houston, that's Joel Osteen's church. And I'm not the biggest admirer of Joel Osteen because Osteen, because I don't think he sticks to the book as much as he should. But having said that, there was a shooter, a killer, who walked into that church. And if you ask me, well, Lars, was it a man or a woman? I'd have to say yes. It was. Uh, not entirely sure. Apparently female, but apparently has used both female and male names. Had a seven-year-old child, seven-year-old child, with that killer. The killer is dead. The killer didn't manage to kill anyone except by extension by bringing a seven-year-old child into that kind of environment. This person, male or female, we don't have that dialed in. It appears to be that it could have been a transgender person, maybe somebody who started to transgender and then went back the other way. In any case, they had a screw loose upstairs. And I think I can say that even not being a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you got to have a screw loose to walk into a church with an AR-15 that says free Palestine on the side of it. Oh, and by the way, the person's an immigrant. And I know a lot of you are going to want to know, was this person legally in America? I don't have any reason to say no, but I also don't know for sure it's a yes. We will probably find out uh, in the days ahead. But yesterday's incident at Lakewood Church near Houston ended with the person with the rifle, male or female, can't figure out which completely yet, or whether or not it was a mid-transition transitioner or whatever, But I want to tell you something, and I want to arm you with some information. The number of transgender people in the population is very, very small. There are a bunch of estimates. Almost all of them are less than 1%. And yet the number of mass shootings that transgenders are involved in is dramatically higher than their percentage of the population, about seven and a half times as high. Now, I know that some of you, like me, have noticed that pattern before, that there is a disturbing number of people who are transgender, number one, and number two, involved in mass shooting events, usually at schools or at churches or at church schools. And I think it's something that we have to consider. And most of the legacy media does not want to touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. And why? Because they're told if they say anything adverse about transgender people, you're going to have the full weight of LGBTQ coming down on top of you like a ton of bricks. And nobody wants that. So I'm going to say it. I'm going to say there is a disproportionate number of transgender individuals involved in mass shootings in America. 
And the numbers both from the Centers for Disease Control, which I don't trust, and the uh, the Crime Prevention Research Center, headed up by Dr. John Lott, which I do trust, uh, they tell the tale. And it's just like when I tell you that a disturbing number of murders in America are committed by black men. And you say, well, Lars, are you saying all black men are murderers? Oh, what are you, crazy? That's not what I said. What I said was black men make up about 6.5% of the population. They make up about 50% of the homicides in America. In fact, males make up about 90% of the homicides in America. But when it comes to black males, half the murders that happen in America involve men who are part of 6.5% of the population. When you see that kind of clear-cut pattern, it suggests that you've got to address the problem differently. And right now, our society is, for the most part, largely unwilling to even talk about it. Because they say, if I talk about this, people are going to be angry at me. They're going to say I'm anti-LGBTQ. They're going to try and cancel me. Yeah, they might. They might try that. And we need to push back against that and say, when we've got the numbers and the facts, and we say there is a trend that people who are mentally troubled, if you want to use that word instead of mentally ill, because the folks who stand up and advocate for the LGBTQ and the trans in particular will tell you all day long and twice on Sunday that people who are trying to transition are so disturbed that they are at a much higher risk of suicide. Now, do you have to be a shrink to be able to say that, yeah, if you're part of a population that is especially uh, at risk of suicide, are you mentally troubled? Yeah. I think I can say that. And so when you say these mentally troubled people are disproportionately involved in mass shootings, is that a problem we should address? Yeah. And do you think it's a problem we're not going to address because politically nobody wants to touch it? In any case, glad to be with you and always glad to take your phone calls and your emails. If you want to jump in to the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, and I'm going to go to a naysayer in just a moment, it's 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And our poll on X today, the White House has banned the use of TikTok. The Biden administration has told government agencies not to use it. So should Joe Biden's political campaign be using it? Well, I always say Democrats need double standards or they'd have no standards at all. But that's a crazier one than you can imagine. Deciding that the government and the White House should not use TikTok, and I don't use TikTok, so I don't have a dog in the fight, or I guess I do. I've taken the position, I think TikTok is a Chinese communist spy device, an app that the Chicoms have convinced so many Americans to load on their phones because they think it's fun or they think it's entertaining. But if it's also a spy device, I want nothing to do with it. I've never had it on my phones and devices. Tina, my wife, has never had it on her phones or devices. But the White House has banned the use of TikTok. Should Joe's political campaign be using it? My answer is no. It's brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Join a great conservative group at amac.us. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Let's go first to Dale. Hey, Dale, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What what do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Well, Lars, uh, one of the things that I think you're missing is that um, I am a non-vax uh, person. I'm on your side 100% of the time almost. 
What does that but, have to do um, with with transgender? One of the one of the things that uh, I've been uh, checking out is some of the doctors are saying that um, with the vaccination that there has been um, issues of mental illness and physical uh, illness. I'm aware of Dale. I've read all. It sounds like you and I don't disagree about too much, but why is it you wouldn't answer when you tell the producer you're a naysayer, but you won't tell me what we disagree about? What's what's going on there? Well, it's just that, you know, I didn't feel like you were addressing that. Uh, that is- because I don't see a tie between transgender and the jab. No, I don't see a tie there. Uh, but OK, uh, thanks for the naysayer call. Not the best naysayer call of the week. And the week is early right now. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show. The 40th president of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blame the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and it's a real pleasure to welcome to the program Carolyn Fippen, who is a candidate for Utah's U.S. Senate position, running for Mitt Romney's, thank God, soon-to-be-vacant seat. Ms. Fippen, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Lars. I could not be done with mittens soon enough. I am sick to death of this guy. And most recently, I'm sick of the fact that he, uh, you know, he's 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 part of the problem when it comes to not solving America's massive border invasion. Would you agree? Oh, can I tell you how absolutely horrified I am that one of the main supporters of this bill, it seems like, is Senator Mitt Romney, because frankly, we should never have a Republican senator negotiating anything on illegal immigration unless it's negotiating what day we're going to build the wall. I can, you know, that's a very nice way to put it. I, I'd endorse that point of view all day long. But before I forget, Carolyn, uh, would you mind telling my audience where they can find your campaign so they can help you out to fill Utah's U.S. Senate, one of Utah's two U.S. Senate seats with somebody with conservative values? Yes. And can I say we need another Mike Lee in the U.S. Senate? And, yes, we do. Uh, I worked for Mike for many years. So um, they can find me at momforsenate.com. I'm a mother of five boys, and this is all about the future that we leave for our kids. Now, hold i got to ask you something. I, I have a, do- a domain name that I bought decades ago, LarsLarson.com, yeah. and I got lucky because at the time they, people were buying them up left and right. How did you get momforsenate.com? <laughs> crazy here's the thing i own a ton of different domain names and carolyn for senate is where i usually send people to but the fact of the matter is outside of the state of utah let's be honest none of us remember like anyone's name when we turn off the radio and walk into our house from listening in the car right everyone has a mom i don't know i got super lucky mom for senate.com was available and i bought it well, now I got to ask you then. Once you're in the U.S. Senate, are you going to share that one around to any other moms who are running in the U.S. Senate? And say, hey, you can use it for the next election cycle. I just need it back six years from now. <laughs> That's right. That would actually be awesome. But it couldn't be any mom 
right? It, it would yeah. have to be a conservative mom. I've been way too disappointed with too many of, too many of the people we elect to public office, but I got to tell you, I hate to say it, don't mean to uh, dish on my own sex, but we have too many women who do not uh, align appropriately, I think, under the Constitution with where I think they ought to be. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, one of the two senators that allegedly represents me uh, fielded herself as the mom in tennis shoes, you know, uh, (laughs) Patty Murray, and, and she was just execrable as far as I'm concerned. Let's talk about this bill, though, because, you know, there was a there were a whole lot of hopes pinned to this thing. And I kept looking at it, saying, saying that shouldn't have even got off the drawing board if Republicans were involved. How did they deliver something that was so? And I, I want people to understand, because the people listening to the show, I don't expect them to read all these bills and everything else. But mm-hmm. it would codify the, the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, who ought to be impeached, yeah. to grant asylum without going to court. It would get even more smuggling across the border of children. It would send money and troops to foreign nations to secure their borders while making our own more more uh, uh, open and crossable. And it would allow illegals to be released from physical custody until their status is determined some probably years down the road. How did Republicans of any stripe end up putting their names on this garbage? Yeah, I, I can't even answer that question. And I think so much of it, let me make one point and then I'm going to answer that. But as best I can. But this whole piece about the Department of the Secretary or the Secretary of Homeland Security and his officers making the decision with regard to asylum, think about it. We have an executive branch right now that is openly defying the law, right? It is refusing yep. to administer the law passed by the legislative branch, Congress. Now we have that same branch, the executive branch, saying, oh, and by the way, while we're defying the legislative branch and taking those powers unto ourselves, we're just going to take the judicial powers as well. I think there is a name <laughs> for or a term, right? Think about it. Yep. Think what a big deal this is. It's gigantic. That's, just say this, just cross the line. Uh, why don't we act? We can be the executive, legislative, and judicial all in one. You, you don't need yes. those other two branches of government, right? Yeah, and I think Trump's the fascist, though, right? Oh, sure. Of course. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> so, and I, and I, it's, it's absolute nuts. This is literally totalitarian type power. And do I hear anybody, is any of our mainstream uh, media even talking about this? Is this a part of conversations on the street? Like, this is absolutely significant, by the well, way. Well, I, I, I um, think... I'm sorry. Carolyn Fippen is a candidate for Utah's U.S. Senate seat. You can find her at momforsenate.com. Fantastic domain name. But I agree with you. But I think, I don't know, there are a lot of of citizens, sad to say, people say, well, how did that become law? Why didn't the president just uh, revoke that law? And I said, no, no, we're going to have to start back. Let's go back to Schoolhouse Rock. This is not how things are done. But so much of the government seems to be about, let's just cut all these steps out and go straight from, you're at the border, okay, you're inside, you can you can work, you can vote, you can have uh, free social welfare, uh, we can, we can uh, diminish every city in America by handing out millions of dollars to illegal aliens while telling their own citizens, as I guess Denver is right now, sorry, we're going to be short on ambulances and cops and fire trucks and everything else, but boy, are we taking good care of the illegal aliens. Yeah, isn't it nuts? But I'm telling you, we only get here because we have leadership that does not only not represent the people, 
but really doesn't care one single bit about what the people want. And leadership, you know, I didn't understand this to this degree before I worked for our speaker here in the Utah House. Uh, about a decade ago, I started working for him and realized how important it is that you have leadership that actually aligns with the people because they have so much power to stop bills, to shut down bills, to keep bills from being heard, to keep all kinds of processes around bills being gummed up or to punish people who don't do, punish members of the legislative branch, whether it be in Congress or in the state house around the country, who don't do what leadership wants them to do. And if that power, if we do not have moral people elected to these positions, and have people who will seek power and will utilize that power and weaponize it against the people who serve with them, then we end up with massive corruption. That's exactly what we have here. Leadership is driving this. These negotiations take place behind closed doors. We all saw this play out. I don't know how many of you guys get half your news from Twitter like I do these days, right, or from X. But I, I watched as people like Senator Lee and Senator Cruz were unable to get the language to this bill and talked about the fact that they didn't have it. And suddenly it's released. I think it was like last Sunday night. And all this comes out. It had been negotiated for months. It was it was worse than we had all been warned. And the people who were privy to those no- negotiations told us, that the things that were being reported weren't in the bill. Calm down. It's not so bad. And then it comes yeah, like, out. And it's didn't, Carolyn, didn't Langford do that, the, who's basically the yeah. architect of the bill? He came out and said, oh, you're believing all this garbage on social media. Just wait till it comes out. You're going to see. It's going to be fantastic. And then it comes out, and it's exactly what we were warned it was going to be, right? Yes. And look, the American people had weeks to get angry about this bill. And we did. Everywhere I go, this is the main thing people are talking about. We did, but it made no difference because it was a done deal as far as leadership was concerned. That is so dangerous. You know, in some ways, Carolyn, it looked like the kind of bill that would happen if Mitch McConnell got down on his hands and knees and crawled into a room and said to the Democrats, do what you will with me. Just tell me what you want in the bill, and I'll. I mean, it's like Kevin Bacon in Animal House say, "Sir, may I have another?" And 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 just it, it's it's that disgusting that Republicans just rolled over and say, "Wasn't there anything else the Democrats wanted in their bill that you would that, that you wouldn't write?" I mean, could they name anything that would have been something that we could have said? Well, that part of it was good. All these other things were all the things the Democrats wanted in the bill. You've got to check her out momforsenate.com and I do suggest that Carolyn if she can find another conservative mom in one of the off cycle elections she could loan her domain name to another mom running for the Senate she is Carolyn Fippen running for Utah's U.S. Senate po- uh, post uh, the one that's being given up thank God by Mitt Romney back in a moment with your calls The Lars Larson Show kids. Nixon was wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. People have got to know 
whether or not their president's a crook. What say you, Joe Biden? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Our poll on X today used to be called Twitter, now it's X. The White House bans the use of TikTok. The Biden administration says federal agencies should not allow it on any government devices, not phones, not pads, not desktops. Don't allow TikTok. And then Joe Biden's political campaign decides to make use of it because Joe Biden sees it as a way, perhaps, to get some younger voters, which it looks like he's losing right and left. And that was before last week's report that says, yep, he committed lots of crimes involving classified documents, but he's unprosecutable because he's too old and he's too senile. Now, on that note, let's go to naysayer Jim, because we always put naysayers first on this program, always have, always will, at 866-439-5277. Jim, what do you and I disagree about today? Well, you say you haven't used TikTok? Uh, by, by design. I have said I am not going to have anything to do with a device, and I'm aware that most of the electronic devices around us can be used for nefarious purposes by people behind them, whether they're the people who wrote wrote the uh, you know the app uh, or whether there are people who yeah. simply figured out a way to use it to gain information about us. I don't want that Chicom app on any device I have. Okay, my my problem with that is is if they're going to ban one, they need to ban them all because I don't trust any of our mainstream media. I don't trust any of our Facebooks, YouTubes, Google. I don't use any of that stuff. Well, I use a lot of it, but Jim, if hold on. If I use it and it's by a company that's not in China, so it's in the United States, it's in Western Europe, if I find out that that, that social media has been harvesting my data without my permission, and then handing it off, in this case, to the Chinese Communist government. Uh, I have a special objection to it. I also object when I know that there are American social media that have been in cooperation in, in ways that I think are illegal or unconstitutional with the U.S. government, and I object the same way. But isn't China an entirely different case? No, I don't think this company is. No, not the company, not the company, Jim. The relationship of every company in communist China is that if the government walks in and says, we want all of that data, the company hands it over because they understand that in China, if you don't hand over all that data, the Chinese government is not only capable of, but will shut you down. On the other hand, you have American companies that if, if the government walks in and says, we'd like to see Lars Larson social media. They'll say, you can get it, you come back with a warrant. Get a judge to order it, and uh, and you can come back with a warrant. And then, when they serve that search warrant, I have a right, as a citizen in the United States, to know what was the government after, wh- how did they justify it, and did they meet the probable cause standard by going to a judge, same way they would if they were to search my house. If the police want to search my house, bring a warrant. And you say, well, we can't get a judge to issue one. Well, then the Constitution says you have no business searching my house. The Chinese Communist government is not held to any of that, are they, Jim? I wouldn't really know with that, Lars. Hold on. You I wouldn't know whether with- the Chi- could the Chinese Communist, go- the government of Communist China, could they come to the United States and walk into Facebook and say, we'd like all of the data about people who are on your social media uh, Facebook here in the United States would say, come back with a warrant. 
And and without a warrant, okay. you're not getting anything. You're, you're telling me you don't know the difference between constitutional protections in the United States and no constitutional protections in China? I do. You but do? Our own government oh. does it to us. We don't have that. We have constitutional protections here. And, and when they do, we stand up, we object strongly, and in some cases, we get them shut down. Have you ever seen anybody be able to shut down the Chicom government in anything they were doing? I've seen them try to. I, don't, I haven't seen them try to shut down any of our stuff here. Well, the NSA's metadata harvesting program, which now, now, gosh, what's that? Ten years ago, it came to light that the NSA was harvesting massive amounts of metadata. It was it was names and phone numbers, and it was if I had a phone, and I do. Uh, that, that that metadata uh, in there were all my phone calls that I ever made or received. And when the public found out about that, largely because of some leaked uh, information that came out, uh, you know, uh, but but when that was when that was brought to light, the public objected, the Congress inquired, and they said, you need to shut that down. Now, are they always successful? No. And Jim, I'd be lying to you if I said, there aren't police departments that have occasionally done warrantless searches, and when they get caught and called out, we fix it. But you can't do that with communist China. Okay, I agree with you there. So what is the value of uh, having TikTok? I find stuff on TikTok that nobody talks about here in the United States. Now, hold on. But what? you don't use Instagram. You don't use any of the other ones. So you use the one... How do you know that what you're seeing on TikTok is not equally available on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? I'll go try to fact check it. You cannot find it anywhere. Okay, very good. I appreciate the call. Let me go to Doug now. Hey, Doug, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind today? Uh, thank you, Lars, for receiving my call. And I appreciate that you take calls for both liberals and conservatives. I think that's I, I love liberals. I'd have a liberal a liberal every 15 minutes if I could. They don't have the courage. <laughs> well, okay. Um, well, I called to say uh, I didn't watch the Super Bowl yesterday. I, I think that the Super Bowl is a, a huge waste of resources and, and a prime example of, of toxic masculinity. And I haven't watched it in years, and, and I don't plan to watch it in the future uh, because it's, it's such a, a brutal, violent sport. And, in fact, there are football players, professional football players, who have committed suicide. And I think it sets a bad example for uh, young men, as well as young women, that um, uh, participating in, in uh, violent sports like that is somehow something to be aspired. Why is that? A ba- okay, let's take these a piece at a time. You say it's a giant waste of resources. It's entertainment. Yes. Wouldn't it, by that definition, almost every form of entertainment in the world be a gigantic waste of resources? Yes. Okay, so you don't go to movies, you don't read books, you don't go to any kind of, you don't go to plays. Plays are just a bunch of people on a stage acting out a story. Uh, Isn't that a giant waste of resources in the same way, if that's your definition? I, I go to movies, but I have to be very careful to, to screen out the, the destructive stuff, the, the smoking. Well, no, not destructive. Things. Wouldn't any, any kind of entertainment that comes in the form of a movie, even if it was Bambi, you'd say, well, the, you know, that's a giant waste of resources. Let's go to the toxic masculinity. What is toxic masculinity? It's, it's uh, 
men being violent with each other. And if they choose to do so voluntarily, what's the problem? Uh, it's a bad example. I think it's the well, wrong why example. is it? Okay, let me let me check this out. In the last, so this idea of toxic masculinity has really come about in the last, I don't know, 50 years or so. For several thousand years of human history, haven't men being willing to fight to preserve their rights been one of the key aspects of our civilization and of the success of our civilization? Well, I believe that eventually we won't have to do that anymore. That, that eventually what will change? Be world peace. What will change? There'll be world peace. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think believe. you're very. I think you're vastly mistaken because you believe that somehow, someday, there will be a time when every country that has no ability to defend itself whatsoever, that there won't be another country that says, "Hey, they got some nice-looking property over there and some nice resources. We're stronger than they are. We'll just take it from them." You think that will be gone from human from humanity? Yeah, I, I... Okay, that's interesting. You're, uh, well, it's an interesting view in any case. Love the naysayers. You got the Lars Larson show. Larson.com. Ryan heard us talking about the fact that Joe Biden last week managed to escape any recommendation for prosecution for his decades of classified information crimes uh, in which he admits that he took classified documents going back as far as 1974, 50 years ago. And yet the DOJ, the Biden DOJ, decided, yep, he willfully committed the crimes, but then he can't be prosecuted because he's too old and senile and a jury would feel sympathetic to him. Ryan wrote in, Lars Jack Texera, a 21-year-old member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard, was accused of leaking U.S. classified documents. He is in jail now, awaiting trial, and faces six counts of retaining and transmitting sensitive national defense information, each of which carries a sentence of up to 10 years in jail, fines up to a quarter million dollars. Shouldn't this be what President Biden and his staffers are facing? Yes, I'd have to agree with that as well. And thanks for the email. Talk at LarsLarson.com is the email address. Brandon Arnold is Executive Vice President of the National Taxpayers Union. Brandon, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Lars. So all this inflation that we've seen where Joe Biden's, the only time he celebrates is when he says, well, it's lower than it was last year. And it's lower than it was the year before that, but it's still dramatically higher than it was the day he took the oath of office and dramatically higher than it had been in the 10 previous years. Was all of this and our massive increase in national debt more or less predictable? Yeah, I guess so. You know, you'd hoped that when Republicans took over the, the House of Representatives, at least, that we'd start to be able to roll back some of the spending. We'd start to see some check on the Biden administration. Unfortunately, it hasn't materialized as much as we would have liked it. Certainly, we haven't had any bills of the magnitude of the American Rescue Plan Act, which he passed shortly after becoming president, or the Inflation Reduction Act, which provided trillions of dollars in special interest tax breaks to renewable energy companies and electric vehicle purchasers. But we still haven't had the type of spending restraint that we've needed to really put a check on inflation. That's why even though things have improved somewhat, I should say they're not getting bad at the same rate that they were in previous years, they're still getting bad. They're still going in the wrong direction. Prices are still going up. 
And a lot of people are being left behind in this economy due to really high interest rates, persistent inflation, and just a crummy economy for a lot of people. I mean, if you went back to the inflation rates before Biden took office, and I always think of things as before Joe and after Joe, um, but we we would in 10 years, say, see prices increase 17 to 20 percent, you know, 1.7 to 2 percent a year for 10 years. Now we're looking at if we could hold inflation to the roughly three and a half we're at now, if it doesn't go higher and it isn't seem doesn't seem likely for it to go lower in the next 10 years, we're going to see it go up by almost twice as much as it would have otherwise. So you're right. It's bad and getting worse, just not getting worse at the rate it was for a period of time in the middle of the Biden administration. So why do you suppose it is that we can't get the United States government, especially in the form of the Congress, to say, look, we're spending ourselves into an absolutely impossible debt. And I mean impossible, literally, where the amount of interest we'll have to pay on it will will supersede or, or eclipse every other function of government. Yeah, well, first, let me just add that some of the inflationary pressure is created not by spending, but on bad regulatory policy. The Biden administration can act unilaterally there. It doesn't need the assent of Congress, for instance, to restrict energy production, which it did early in its administration. It didn't need the assent of Congress to raise tariffs, which drove up consumer prices and prices for manufacturers to put price controls on prescription drugs and so forth. So it did a lot of bad stuff that Congress doesn't really have the ability to stop. But then moving into current Congress, when once again, the House should have been more effective in putting a check on Biden's spending, there has been zero unanimity amongst House Republicans on how to proceed and how to push back. There's just been so much infighting, so much disarray, that even under the new speaker, who I think is doing an admirable job, but far from perfect, he's doing an admirable job. We just haven't had the level of coordination that we need in order to You'll give the speaker an opportunity to really negotiate against Schumer and, and Biden on, on spending cuts and, and getting this nation back on track. But why is it so hard to get to that unanimity? Because I could see that if one group wants us to be conser- very conservative about spending and then the other group wants us to be conservative, but not quite as conservative as, say, the Freedom Caucus, they'd at least arrive at some point that's well below Joe Biden's level of spending. But you're telling me that because one group says no, it's got to be more conservative, so we're not even willing to go for somewhat more conservative. Is it a matter of degrees? It is, and and you're trying to apply logic and rational thought (laughs) to the operations of Congress, which is a big mistake. Sorry about that. (laughs) Politics. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's a directional fight, in my opinion. Here, it's a directional fight. You know, getting into the minutia of strategic uh, approach and, and tactical approach and so forth. I think that's where everything has has fallen apart. But what they ought to do is reset this whole conversation and directionally agree that the spending cannot continue. And if we got to that point, first of all, then we could begin that conversation about the level of cuts. Uh, and nobody's ever going to be happy. I think that's the other problem is you have 435 members of the House of Representatives and each person thinks that they should be speaker and making all the decisions and getting their way 100 percent of the time. And that's just not how a legislative body functions. You have to realize that if you're going to get a directional change, uh, especially under this enormous spending of the current president and the previous Congress, then that's a, a victory, even if it's not as good as we would like.
I, I don't understand why even the low-hanging fruit, things like, well, let's claw back all the unspent, supposedly money budgeted for an emergency, and the emergency is over. And then you say, okay, bring back all the unspent money. As I understand it, that's a substantial sum right now, and they could grab that without touching anything except Joe's reelection plans. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely one of the ideas that we've proposed to Congress. They've used it as a pay-for. They've used... Some other things that I think should be low-hanging fruit, like how about um, the Inflation Reduction Act? There were almost a trillion dollars in tax credits there targeted specifically toward renewable energy credits, uh, to renewable energy companies, and to people, mostly wealthy people, who wanted to go out and buy a Tesla or another electric vehicle. Let's start clawing that stuff back. We should have unanimity across the Republican Party. Uh, And some Democrats even should be hesitant to support large companies, give them enormous tax credits, even if they support this green energy policy. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we could agree on. But first, they have to agree what day of the week it is. And then we can start getting the policy. We can unfortunately get to that well, I'll tell you what, at the very least, let's stop making uh, making the car companies make cars on which electric cars that they lose 60000 bucks every time they sell one. Brandon, thanks so the much. The Lars Larson Show. comes to health, we're all a... Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Lars. <laughs> Meet Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Never apologize for being patriotic. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday, and it's a pleasure to be with you. I had just a couple of thoughts for you, and then I want to get to your phone calls. But one of the things I saw over this uh, Super Bowl weekend was Joe Biden, and they put him on. He wouldn't do the interview that American presidents routinely and historically have given for Super Bowl weekend. But what he did do was he apparently issued uh, a TikTok video in which he kind of babbled on about how unfortunate it was that he, there was what they called uh, shrinkflation was the thing that Joe Biden called it. Where and, and listen, this is nothing new. I mean, I can remember people literally 50 years ago saying last year that Mars bar or that, uh, that candy bar was 10 ounces, and now they're only 9.5 ounces, uh, and yet they charge as much for the same bar. I've heard these complaints, or that a bag of peanuts or pretzels or or potato chips, uh, it has less content in it than it used to. And Joe Biden goes on and on about how the ice cream cartons are smaller. I don't think Joe gets out much, honestly. I don't think he gets out much, because you can almost literally buy ice cream in any size container you want. I know that Pace and my granddaughter likes those little teeny ones that are... Uh, they're about the size, they're a little bigger than a silver dollar, uh, you know, maybe the size of a hockey puck, and about an inch and a half thick. You can buy ice cream in a container like that. And in every other size container from that hockey puck-sized ice cream, 
all the way up to five-gallon buckets of ice cream. So when Joe Biden says, wow, they're making uh, ice cream in smaller cardboard cartons, I mean, he just sounds like he's completely out of touch. But it got me thinking about something, and it kind of leads into this subject that I'd picked up out of Denver, Colorado. But let me get to that in a moment. Do you realize that we have government that is now charging us just as much for government services as they used to charge. In fact, in almost every case, they're charging us more money for those services, and we're getting less service. Now, government service, whether it's police, fire, ambulance, national defense, Pentagon, no matter what it is, it doesn't come in a cardboard carton. It doesn't come in a sealed plastic bag, but you're still paying a lot more money for a much smaller package. And if you ask me, well, what do you mean by that, Lars? Well, in most American cities these days, if you pick up the phone and call 911, they have, most of the 911 centers have never actually reached where they're supposed to be theoretically, where every single call on the first ring should be answered with a 911 operator. And every single one of those emergency calls should bring a police or fire or ambulance lights and siren response within four or five minutes. Now, it is a good idea for cities and counties and states to have standards that they never quite get to. In other words, if you say, well, our standard is five minutes and we got to that three years ago, we're not trying to make it any better. A man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for? I didn't make that up, by the way. It's uh, one that I used because I thought the guy was very, very clever when he said that. But consider now that we've actually got cities like, and in this case, Denver. And I want to play a soundbite. I'll give a heads up to Joel, my producer. Um, the mayor of Denver, Mike Johnson, is trying to sell the idea that American citizens, in this case, citizens of the city of Denver, are going to have to give up some of the government services that they ordinarily expect so that we can take care of people who have come into our country illegally. Denver right now is cutting $5 million from its public service. This is stuff you've already paid for so that illegal aliens can be provided for. And I would suggest this is on a gigantic multi-million dollar city size scale. Exactly what Joe Biden was complaining about when it comes to ice cream or candy bars or bags of chips. It's the same thing. Except in that case, in the case of a private company, if you say, I don't like that uh, Lay's or Doritos or whoever is putting out a smaller bag with fewer chips in it for the same amount of money. I understand when people get frustrated, but at least you can say, well, then I'm not going to buy their product anymore. I'll go somewhere else. When it comes to city and county and federal services, like a smaller Pentagon for more money, a smaller this for more money. Everything is smaller for more money. And in the case of Denver, this Mike Johnson, a Democrat, has announced that they're going to cut the hours at recreation centers for kids. They're going to cut in-person vehicle registration at the DMV. They're going to just simply say, you can't do in-person registration or renewal at the DMV. They're going to cut back on the planting of spring flower beds. Uh, because we've got to save the cash for the illegal aliens. The cuts follow the mayor's decision last month, get this, to divert $25 million from the city's budget and give it to who? Give it to the illegal aliens. 
The plan includes pulling $10 million from a contingency fund. That's what government calls a savings account. $15 million from a building remodel. Well, if the building remodel wasn't necessary, why were you spending money on it? Johnson says he figures the illegal alien crisis will cost around $180 million just in 2024. And who does he blame? Does he blame Joe Biden, fellow Democrat? No, he blames Republicans. Take a listen to Mike Johnson, mayor of Denver, talking about the shared sacrifice that he expects citizens to make. This is a plan for shared sacrifice. And so in terms of our first step on city cuts, um, we are announcing today we will make some changes both uh, to our services at DMV and to our services on Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. So citizens, you must give up. You're going to pay the same amount in taxes. We're just going to deliver a whole lot less in the way of city services. And then you've got a city council person in Boston, which decided to make itself a sanctuary city for illegal aliens. Except now she says they need to share the pain with other cities surrounding Boston that did not become sanctuary cities. Listen to what she wants. I think everybody needs to start opening up their doors because this is a shared responsibility. No, it's not a shared responsibility. You, Boston, decided to become a sanctuary city. Your voters tolerated that nonsense from people who ran for office. And now you want to tell all the cities surrounding you that they got to take a piece of the pain? No way. Let's go to Ben in Virginia. Hey, Ben, thanks for listening. What's on your mind? Yes, sir. I was calling in. I'd like to um, kind of comment on the guy that called earlier about toxic masculinity. Oh, he said the Super Bowl was full of uh, waste of resources and toxic masculinity, and I thought that was just cockamamie nonsense. Well, I mean, you know, and and I say to each their own, but I'm of the mindset that toxic toxic masculinity, excuse me, is one of the most overused phrases in the world. I mean, men these days are expected to, to be more feminine, to be, you know, for lack of better words, more woke um when i wholeheartedly disagree i think men these days should be like our ancestors were i i couldn't agree with you more ben and in fact if you're if you've got a lot of people expecting that you need a new circle of friends but i appreciate the call and thanks for listening on wchv back in a moment you got the lars larson show Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on a Monday. It's a pleasure to be with you, and it's really nice to be able to say that overnight, uh, effectively early today, Israeli security forces had rescued two hostages who'd been held ever since the slaughter on October the 7th. So I thought we'd talk to Rich Goldberg about that and whether or not that gives us greater hope that perhaps other hostages can be rescued as well. Uh, Rich is senior advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Rich, welcome back. Thanks so much. Great to be here. How much do we know about the rescue of uh, Fernando Simon Marmon, 60 years old, and Louis Haar, 70, uh, who are apparently in pretty good condition, considering that they've been held as hostages for months by Hamas? 
Yeah, we've started to learn a lot of details released uh, by the Israelis uh, since that night raid. Uh, and it's a very complex operation. It involved uh, Israel's internal security forces, its external security, its military, its intelligence apparatus. And it appears these two individuals were being held above ground uh, in an apartment complex. It took a long time to be able to get to that point where the Israelis had confidence they could go in without uh, potentially risking the hostages themselves, uh, looking for that moment of opportunity. But I think what it tells us is that there's a lot of intelligence that has been collected as the war has gone on. Remember, they're taking people off the battlefield, not just dead, but arresting terrorists, interrogating them. They're getting intelligence as they're monitoring the flow and movement of Hamas forces fleeing the Israeli army. They're seeing where people are going, what people are talking about. And so I think it does give us a lot of hope that the Israelis do know where other hostages might be located but perhaps waiting for that moment of opportunity so as not to risk their lives. And and where does this appear to be going overall, Rich, in terms of uh, is the goal still to try to eliminate Hamas as a force and a, a terrorist organization, as well as being the government of Gaza? Uh, is, is, are we going to get there, or are, we going to be, are the Israelis going to be held short of that goal uh, by uh, objections from the United States and others? Well, if the IDF moves forward uh, and they are allowed to do what they know how to do, there's really only one city left to fall uh, where Hamas has sort of fallen back to, and that's that southern city of Rafah, where this uh, raid was conducted that we just talked about. And that's on the southernmost uh, tip of Gaza on the border of Egypt. Northern Gaza has fallen from an operational control perspective. So has central Gaza. The uh, second largest city uh, that's located in the south, Khan Yunus, uh, is pretty much fallen. There's still additional areas of Hamas uh, command and control the Israelis are still going after. And then comes Rafah, where we expect, based on the massive amount of tunnels that have been discovered since the Israelis went into southern Gaza, a lot of the Hamas leadership has likely fled to, a lot of the hostages have likely been brought to, and that would be Hamas's last stand if the Israelis are not allowed to go into Rafah, if international pressure or U.S. threats somehow change the course uh, and the trajectory of the conflict, then Hamas survives. They regroup uh, and they're able to start launching back their cells, regain command and control in other parts of Gaza, using Rafah as a starting point. All right. So, so which one do you think is the more likely result, Rich? I think, and I was just in Israel last week, uh, I had a lot of uh, meetings and briefings. The Israelis are very determined to go forward. Uh, they're going to take their time to ensure that they do this in a way that does, in fact, minimize civilian casualties. The Israelis, as we know, are not looking to cause mass casualty situations. Uh, and so they will sort out how, what is the best way, most efficient way to encourage civilians to leave Rafah. Uh, the one thing I would note is that unlike a few months ago, when you saw the Israelis try to get civilians out of northern Gaza, right when the war had kicked off, and Hamas controlled all that space south of where the Israelis were going to go, that's not the case today. The Israelis will control a lot of the egress points for civilians traveling north. And so using facial recognition technology, uh, other tools, they'll be able to catch any terrorists that try to flee with the civilian population as well. So it's actually to the Israeli benefit not just from a moral and humanitarian perspective, from, but from a strategic perspective, 
to encourage a flow of people out uh, and then to commence the operation in the next few weeks. And so if everything goes according to plan, I think you could see uh, Gaza under operational control of the Israelis in about two months' time. And, and then do they end up handing it back? Because, Rich, I still wonder whether there was a mistake made when Israel essentially said, okay, we're going to let uh, the Gazans have autonomy. They they got out, what was that, 06 or so? And, and, and you know, I, I don't know, the behavior of the Palestinians has never impressed me because Israel left and, and they burned down a bunch of, of the stuff, not Israel, but the Palestinians, because, oh, we don't want these houses and these greenhouses and these other things that have been built here because they were built by the Jews. I mean, this is one of the, as for, to my mind, uh, these are some of the biggest bigots in the world. And then they get support on American college campuses and by many governments around the world who I think also hate the Jews. And, and it's like, what is wrong with you people? And why does anybody stand up and defend you when this is the way you behave? Uh, well, I, you know, back in December, I wrote an essay for Commentary Magazine I'd recommend uh, that was basically titled The Five Things That Can't Happen After Hamas Falls in Gaza. And one of those core pillars of what cannot come next is full withdrawal of Israeli security forces in the IDF. That can't happen. You just referenced 2005, the uh, withdrawal from Gaza. 2006, the uh, civil war uh, after elections. 2007, uh, Hamas takes control of the Gaza Strip. Um, that's going to happen again if, uh, if the Israeli forces leave Gaza. Israel does not want to have civilian control over the population. They don't want to be managing sewer systems uh, and, and doing what is the daily life of, of Gaza government, uh, but they can't allow a situation where Hamas just rises up. They're not going to get every Hamas fighter. We're losing operational control does not mean it's Hamas-free inside Gaza. There's going to have to be special operations, you know, uh, strategic strikes, uh, surgical strikes uh, every now and again to get cells. The same way you see the Israelis have to do that in the West Bank areas uh, as well, even under Palestinian Authority control. So that's what I think we're moving towards in the future. I think the Israelis know that they're not going to be leaving. They're going to take control of that border corridor as well uh, with Egypt to ensure that the smuggling can't continue. They might have some sort of a DMZ or no man's land around their border with Gaza uh, to ensure that they can't have another October 7th in the future. Obviously, the sea as well, the Mediterranean Sea coast and securing that will be important. So I think that's one of the things. Then, then there's other things that can't happen. We can't allow the Qataris and the Turks to be involved in the rebuilding of Gaza. These are Hamas loyalists, Hamas allies. They've been sponsoring Hamas for years. You can't let them come back in and start financing new extremists uh, to try to build new terror platforms. And U.N. organizations like UNRWA. I was going to get Boy, that. boy, that in the news. How, I mean, how about this? How about we cut every – since we're funding most of this, why don't we tell the U.N.? The, the 30,000 paycheck stops, and, and if you want people back on paycheck, you need to vet these people as not belonging to a terrorist organization. If we're paying the tab, can we insist on that? I have argued this for years, because you know what? When it's our dollars through USAID, the U.S. Agency for International Development, we insist on vetting all of our partners, whether it's a grantee, a contractor, even the subcontractors on projects have to go through a U.S. counterterrorism vetting program. We don't do that for U.N. agencies. We don't do it for UNRWA. 
even though we know they're operating in a hotbed of terrorism. And so we willfully hand over money to this agency knowing they're employing Hamas or Islamic Jihad or you name the foreign terrorist organization, knowing that those are the beneficiaries getting our money. And so, yes, I think you're not going to say, oh, hey, we just want you to certify that the U.N. is checking these people. Uh Uh-uh. The U.S. intelligence community, along with other allies, including the Israelis, are going to have to do the vetting here. That's a lot of people. And so I would just say, listen, what is a core service? What is a core function that you need to actually provide humanitarian relief? If you're a teacher, an Islamic Jihad Hamas teacher in some school, that's not a today issue. You don't have to be working right now. No, you don't. That's Rich Goldberg from the FDD. Rich, thanks very much. The Lars Larson Show. All men and the people who... may talk about serious issues, but even Lars has a sense of humor. I have a joke for you. The government in this town is excellent and uses your tax dollars efficiently. <laughs> this is the Lars Larson Show. I really don't care about Taylor Swift and all the interfering. Why can't I watch the Super Bowl without Taylor always appearing? Her boyfriend Travis supports BLM and gets paid big bucks by Pfizer. Taylor, stop endorsing Democrats. That is what I would advise her. I really don't care. Why should I care? I could care less about Taylor. Just get up my screen, don't want to be mean, I am not here to assail her. CBS show the game, and please not the same, cutaway shots of Taylor. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's our friend Jim Gossett, the parody guy. Again, you can find him on Patreon at Jim uh, Gossett uh, Comedy. Glad to have you with me. If you want to jump into the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I meant to mention this on Friday, but I think it's good to start the week with it instead. Uh, A brand new study out of the Heartland Institute about how voters cast their ballots in the 2020 election. And I know a lot lot of you are rolling your eyes right now saying, Lars, you're not going to talk again about how the 2020 election was fraudulent because we've heard the government say why it was the finest election that America has ever had in its entire history, Uh, which kind of leads you to the uh, conclusion that, well, then why did all uh, the battleground states change the laws? on how elections are carried out. If 2020 was perfect, why would they need to change the laws? And then you see this. I mean, I've shared with you a number of studies that have been done in the last couple of years. They weren't done soon enough to correct the massive error of putting Joe Biden in the Oval Office. I mean, like the one two weeks ago 
where data processing people in Georgia, one guy in particular, managed to determine that about 35,000 votes were cast in Georgia that were fraudulent votes. They were cast by people who didn't live in the state anymore, weren't registered to vote anymore, uh, all those problems, and that that was about three times the number of voters that it would have taken to make the difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump in the state of Georgia. Consider this one from the Heartland Institute. They went out to ask people, how did you cast your ballot in 2020? And they asked them a bunch of questions, and they found out that as many as 28% of all the votes cast were illegally cast, not just in Georgia, but in other states. Mail-in voting in the 2020 election jumped to 43%, and it did so in violation of the law because there were state officials who said, well, we have a pandemic going on. We need to change the way that Americans vote. They could have done it legally. They could have taken it to the state legislature. They did not. Now, if not for the illegal votes, those 28% would have gone an entirely different way. And here's what it showed. It examined the likely impact that fraudulent mail-in ballots had in the 2020 election, and they concluded, after looking at it, the outcome almost certainly would have been different without the massive expansion in voting by mail. My friend Seton Motley, who you hear on the show from time to time, would point out to you that Donald Trump won the in-person vote in 2020. And you say, okay, but he lost overall. Then you have to ask yourself, we understand that there would be a little bit of a difference between the people who cast mail ballots and the people who cast ballots in person. I mean, there are demographic differences between people who vote in cities and people who vote in rural areas. But would the difference be big enough that with Donald Trump winning the vote when people cast their ballots directly in person, meaning you know exactly who's casting that ballot, how in the world could there be enough illegal vote-by-mail ballots to change the entire difference? That's what they did. The Heartline Institute study tried to gauge the probable impact that fraudulent mail-in ballots cast for then-candidate Joe Biden and his opponent Donald Trump would have had. The study was based on data from a survey done in December, so just a couple of months ago, that revealed that roughly one vote in five came from voters who admitted to potentially fraudulent election actions in the presidential election. A good example of that would be asking a person, so you voted in 2020? Yes. What town did you vote in? Well, I voted in this town. Uh, were you still living in that town? No. No, I'd already moved a couple of months before. Well, then you weren't legally registered to vote. And if you say, well, that's just a technicality. Tell you what, elections are all about technicalities. They also found that without the huge expansion of mail-in ballots during the pandemic, which was often done without legislative approval, President Trump would have most likely won. And if you say, what difference does it make if it was done with the state legislature of Georgia or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania actually weighing in on it? The difference is, go back to the U.S. Constitution. What does it say? It says every state can decide the rules by which its elections are held. Every state has that ability. The problem is, if you decide to change the rules of an election without taking it to the people's representatives in the legislature, then the votes are illegal. They're simply not allowed. And you say, well, uh, again, I've heard plenty of people say, that's just a technicality, Lars. 
No. The fact is, this time around, when people have asked me, well, how is it going to be different this time around? Number one, most of the battleground states have changed the laws of their state to make it harder to cheat. That's going to be one factor. Number two, the Trump campaign, I believe, this time around, will be ready to immediately launch legal challenges. When they see those vote-by-mail ballots going out, if they're going out illegally, if they're being counted illegally, if they're being harvested illegally, then I think the Trump campaign is going to file immediate challenges. You can't wait until the election is over. And these days, bizarrely, we've got people who would have you believe America should be all voting by mail. I'm going to warn you this. I've lived in states for the last 20 years that have vote by mail. And the one thing I might agree with Jimmy Carter about, President Jimmy Carter sat on a presidential commission some time ago. And the commission was asked about, you know, the security and the validity of our election system. And what Jimmy Carter's commission came up with was, and you can just about quote it by heart, vote by mail provides the greatest opportunity for fraud in American elections of any factor out there. So in other words, if you decide to have vote by mail, expect the election to be flawed, expect it to be fraudulent as well. I want to give you an update on this. A Texas grand jury has now indicted an illegal alien in the brutal killing of a 16-year-old girl. He has now been indicted on capital murder charges. Rafael Govea Romero, 23, intentionally caused Lisbeth Medina's death while in the course of trying a burglary, a robbery, or a sexual assault. They say that uh, Romero killed Medina by causing the teenager's head to strike a firm surface and then striking her head with a hard object and repeatedly stabbing or cutting her. A 16-year-old girl killed by an illegal alien. Now, you say, well, why is that significant? Because that's a guy who never should have been in America. Joe Biden has a duty to the American people to make sure that illegal aliens do not invade this country. Instead of taking that seriously, he decided that he would simply let illegal aliens flow unchecked across our southern border. Coming up in a moment, the media loves to tout Joe Biden as a devout Catholic, but is he really upholding the principles of his faith when he advocates for abortion? We'll talk about that coming up next. vegan actually is they say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart just like vegans this is the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you and a real pleasure to welcome back our friend sean carney who's ceo and president of 40 days for life sean how's life treating you right now (laughs) pretty good pretty good it's good to be back Uh, It's great to have you on. How should we view uh, Joe Biden, self-professed Catholic, uh, first Catholic president since John F. Kennedy, and uh, Ash Wednesday coming up, and Joe Biden, I'm sure, will show up and uh, and, and expect communion, and yet as a self-professed Catholic, somehow he manages to philosophically support 
abortion while also claiming to be a good Catholic. Does that make sense? Yeah, and uh, sadly, he's been enabled, I think, by a lot of bishops. But aside from that, um, it just escalates the scandal of the whole thing. And and I think in a positive way, actually, it's one of the reasons I wrote that, that op-ed, because everybody just knows he's never taken Catholic teaching seriously. I mean, he's not a 22-year-old kind of lost figuring out his way, or even a 30-year-old. He's he's an 80-year-old grown man who has for decades publicly supported abortion while publicly touting his Catholic faith and, and using it. Um, and the Church doesn't teach that. The Catholic Church is, is the number one authoritative, you know, figure, institution that opposes abortion, and he could just care less. I mean, it's just not even on his radar. And so, is, is he is um, he more what, what what some of us might describe? And I hope you wouldn't take this the wrong way. As cafeteria Catholics, you know, one from column A, one from column B, and, and oh you yeah, perfect. Just... Yeah, no, that's not an offensive term. It's 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 accurate completely with with a lot of people and. And, you know, you can do that, but it, it's a scandal, <laughs> you know, and so it, that's the whole thing. We, we you know, we, we're always calling out sort of people who, who uh, this isn't professing something and then just like going against it. It's that he supports abortion yep. and, and, and yet claims to be Catholic. Uh, this isn't somebody just struggling to to pray more or struggling with a particular sin or struggling, you know, like, like everybody struggles. St. Jose Maria says a saint is one who struggles. That, that's not what we're dealing. He's not sitting there hesitating going, this is really difficult. And I, you know, I wrestle with this and all this. He's celebrating abortion and promoting it and funding it and has for decades. I think sometimes we're told, you know, we need to pray for him in this condescending way. And we do need to pray for him, which I point out in the in the opt-in, but we need to pray for him on a serious level. He's losing his mind. Um, and so, you know, many of the great saints say one of the difficult things about nearing death is you lose the capacity for conversion. And he is definitely, you know, in that, in that realm. And I think that people don't take him seriously when he talks about Catholicism because of this, even if you're like a liberal Catholic. I just don't think that they take him seriously. He doesn't care really what the church teaches. He's been told many times privately. Um, I know that for a fact and, and pulled aside by some very charitable, uh, you know, uh, bishops and he doesn't care. And so, uh, you know, we're not, we don't judge him, his soul, but we can certainly judge his action. Well, and that's the, that's the other difference, Sean, is I want, I mean, look, I've run into people over the years who say, well, philosophically, I support abortion, but their supporter opposition makes, you know, not a lot of difference other than maybe a vote they could cast um, among all of the Americans who vote. But in Joe Biden's case, he's running a gigantic government operation that controls hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions eventually. And he's able to divert resources to abortions they've they've been trying to do that with pentagon money in in one particularly egregious example and so you say it's this isn't like an, an american who says well i don't object to a woman getting an abortion uh i would disagree with that person but they're not going to change the game joe biden is in a position to actually make things happen that actually bring about abortion so when he, you know that he he uses this excuse i've heard a thousand times from people saying well i'm pro you know choice 
but I'm not actually in favor of the abortion. I just want women to be able to make the choice. It's the kind of difference or distinction that I think only a lawyer would appreciate. Oh, so you're, you're not in favor of an abortion actually happening. You're just in favor of letting people decide to do it. You know, like there's a difference there. But his support can also come in very practical ways, signing bills, you know, diverting resources from taxpayers who are not supposed to see a single dime of federal money go to abortions. Yeah, no, I, I think slavery is terrible, but I su- fully support the slave <laughs> owners and the plantation <laughs> owners, and I want to fund them and, and that, celebrate I have to them borrow that one. my campaign rallies. So, yeah, it, it's all BS, and, and I think everybody knows it. Um, you know, on the opposite end, he's, he's going on offense. He's attacking Trump for overturning Roe v. Wade. So Trump you know, many people didn't want to vote for him in 2016. He's this horrible pagan. You know, he's been divorced. He's an adulterer. He's horrible. He's a terrible human being. He's the guy that actually got overturned Roe v. Wade, which is perhaps God's sense of humor. But it's, it just shows um, it's not that he's sort of hiding in the shadows and, and, and scurrying around it. He's on the front lines. Uh, he's he's celebrating it. And, and it's fine if you leave the church. You know, that's the, you know, highest denomination in America is fallen away Catholics. So that's fine. That's a huge category. You'll have a lot of friends. But to actively be, you know, promoting yourself as a Catholic and all of that, it it just causes further scandal. <laughs> Maybe 10 years ago it did or 20. I really don't think it does now. It does technically. But I don't know if anybody takes Biden seriously on what his favorite color of M&M is much less, you know, something like abortion and wrestling with his Catholic faith. So Maybe ice um, cream. I'm, by the way, I'm talking to Sean Carney, who's CEO and president of 40 Days for Life. Are there any reporters out there, uh, I mean, even if they don't aren't people of faith, who have the guts to ask him about this? Because to me, it, it would be like somebody who says, these are my beliefs, you know, a Muslim, you know, member of Congress, who says, I'm Muslim, but let's go out and have a beer. And you say, hold on, isn't this inconsistent in, in your case to go have a beer if you claim you're Muslim? Uh, well, in Joe's case, to claim I am, I am a, uh, I'm a Catholic, uh, which means you believe in the right to life, but I'm going to support abortion. Somebody ought to ask him about it. Particularly because of the reason. I mean, I mean, a beer can still be seen. Maybe you lack discipline or you're just relative on that as a Muslim or whatever. But the Catholic Church teaches against abortion because of the direct killing of a human being, an innocent human being. And so this isn't like some small thing that's like, you know, I don't know, I wish they'd put the holy water font, you know, on the (laughs) left side, the center of the church. This isn't trivial. This is serious, and it's it's life and death, and uh, he just blows it off. And and I, you know, here's what's strange to me. Hold on, hold on, Sean. Unfortunately, I'm up against the break, but that's Sean Carney, CEO and president of 40 Days for Life. Wouldn't it be nice to see some reporter out there demand of Joe Biden, how can you call yourself a good Catholic and support abortion? You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Easy was abandoned by her Stand by playback. I know. Lars. Real red meat radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This 
is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Never apologize for being patriotic. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I've got to talk not about the Super Bowl. That doesn't have as much interest to me, but about a shooting that happened at a church yesterday. And I was following the events uh, as they went along. I was watching uh, the news coverage, and I was curious, what strange thing are we going to find about the person who tried to take lives at uh, Joel Osteen's church. Now, I don't know, Mr. Osteen, but here's what I do know. What happened was a person walked into that church. The person was carrying a gun, and the person had with them a child, and that child was wounded. Thankfully, there was one other person wounded, but two off-duty law enforcement people, one from alcohol and beverage control and the other from another law enforcement agency, quickly pulled guns and shot the person with a gun. Now, this is where it gets really, really strange because we know a few things about this person. We know that the person has gone by both male and female names. We believe, based on the police reports, that the person is female but may have identified as a male at some point. We also know that person has a long criminal history of some violence and other kinds of crimes as well. We know the person is an immigrant to the United States. Now, I've had a few people suggest to me that that means they're an illegal alien as well. We don't know that at this point. We know that this person is from El Salvador. We know that this person has been in the United States long enough to accumulate a criminal record, which means this person, male or female, we still haven't figured that out, because it appears to be a biological woman who has gone by both male names and female names, and that's where I think it gets the most interesting, because society, our society, needs to start taking a hard look at the incidents of violent events connected to transgender individuals because they are committing violence in this country at a rate that is way disproportionate to the number of actual transgenders in our society. Now, transgender has been a controversial topic. It means billions and billions of dollars for doctors and hospitals and clinics. They're making money to beat the band when it comes to transgender. We know that it's a political issue as well. And we know that in this case, it's also an issue of violence. So we'll get into that. Oh, and by the way, on the side of the AR-15 being carried by this male or female, it appears biological female, were the words free Palestine, which means that's part of the issue as well. But let me get into that in just a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism on this Monday, you're certainly welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, well, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And our poll on X used to be called Twitter, but now the poll on X, the White House bans the use of TikTok. 
And in fact, Joe Biden himself has told federal agencies have TikTok removed from devices that are owned by the federal government. And why? Because it is believed to be a Chinese communist spy device. I know it sounds like a conspiracy theory. There is too much actual knowledge behind that. Even Joe Biden would agree that it is banned from the White House. It is banned from federal agencies by Joe Biden's order. That was the Biden administration that said, if you've got TikTok on your government-owned phone, you take it off. If it's on your iPad, take it off. If it's on your desktop, take it off. So the question is, should Joe Biden's political campaign for re-election be using TikTok as he did this past weekend? I would say no to that. I mean, just out of a sense of consistency, if nothing else. But the White House bans the use of TikTok. Should Joe Biden's political campaign be using it? I would answer no. You can answer any way you like. You'll find the question at X or at LarsLarson.com. You'll also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Now, I want to tell you why I would draw the conclusion that our society needs to take a hard look at transgender individuals. Let's start with this. Even the people who think of transgenders in the most sympathetic terms would tell you why society has to do for these people. Has to do what? Transgender surgery, hormone treatment, and the rest. And then they extend that and say, and we have to do it to children as well. And we've talked about that issue. This is something different. There is a disturbing amount of violence that is tied in to transgender individuals. And I know I'm going to hear people saying, oh, no, Lars, you're mistaken about this. First of all, think about it logically. We're told by those most sympathetic to transgender that if you do not offer them the treatment they want, the hormone treatment to try as much as you can to transform a man into a woman, a woman into a man, a boy into a girl, a girl into a boy. And for children, this means chemical and surgical mutilation of those children. It is dead wrong, and it should stop. But I want you to consider the number of incidents we've heard about just in recent years that have involved mass shootings, many of them aimed at religion or at religious institutions that involve transgender people. Colorado Spring shooter, non-binary. Nashville school shooter, transgender. Aberdeen shooter, transgender, Denver school shooter, transgender, Iowa school shooter, trans or gender fluid. And now, most recently, this incident at the Lakewood Church, that's Joel Osteen's church, a transgender individual or somebody who has identified as transgender. So then you say, well, Lars, that's half a dozen different incidents. They were all notable national events. And when I talk about these mass shootings, I'm not talking about the day-to-day gangbanger shootings that are happening by the hundreds in America. Because one of the things I'll warn you about is they try to meld all those numbers together and say it's a mass shooting if somebody goes into, say, the uh, uh, convent, uh, the church in Nashville and carries out a shooting, and that that is the same as a gangbanger who's settling some kind of score with a fellow gang or a rival gang by going in and doing a drive-by shooting. They are not at all the same. But consider these numbers. Trans individuals are well overrepresented in terms of attacks. And what you find from the CDC's Behavior Risk Factor Surveillance System and the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, you find that 
the number of transgender individuals involved in shootings from 2018 to 2023 in that five-year period is seven and a half times as many as there are transgender individuals in American society. It suggests to me that people who have mental disease, they are mentally disturbed, they are boys who think they're girls, they're men who think they're women, vice versa, that that is mentally disturbing, and the people who sympathize with that group say why they might even commit suicide, or they might show up at your church and try to shoot you dead if a good guy with a gun doesn't stop a bad trans with a gun. Back in a moment, glad to get your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. We'll be back with your calls in just a moment. At least someone has a plan for illegal aliens. Back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and begin the largest deportation operation in American history. This is the Lars Larson Show. It's Super Bowl Sunday. If you're anything like me, you like to be surrounded by a snack or two while watching the big game. You know, when buying snacks for the game, you might have noticed one thing. Sports drinks bottles are smaller. The bag of chips has fewer chips, but they're still charging it just as much. And as an ice cream lover, what makes me the most angry is that ice cream cartons have actually shrunk in size, but not in price. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. Some companies are trying to pull a fast one by shrinking the products little by little and hoping you won't notice. Give me a break. The American public is tired of being played for suckers. I'm calling on companies to put a stop to this. Let's make sure businesses do the right thing now. Yeah, that's Joe Biden with his big concern during the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl where uh, presidential tradition has been that the president does an interview for the Super Bowl programs. And, of course, Joe didn't do that this year, didn't do that last year. You can't really trust him in front of a camera or a microphone. So he simply took a pass on that and then spent about 30 seconds describing his frustration with smaller candy and chip and ice cream cartons. Can you believe this? This is Joe Biden's big concern about inflation. And it, by the way, he's talking about the Super Bowl where a family of four going with average tickets, I think the total bill, including flights and hotels and food and the tickets to the ball game, about $36,000. So not exactly the thing that the average family of four is going to get involved in. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and your emails. It's a Monday, and your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. By the way, you can vote in our poll on X. We put up a brand new question every day, and it has to do with the next thing I want to get to, and that is TikTok and Joe Biden. So, the White House has banned the use of TikTok, and the Biden administration has told government agencies to take TikTok off their devices, either phones or pads or desktop computers. Should Joe Biden's political campaign be using TikTok? Well, 
it's clear that the Biden campaign is pretty panicked about now. The poll numbers are falling. Uh, the president today, if the election were held today, would lose to Donald Trump by about five percentage points. And those polls are from before the devastating report last week that said, yes, Joe Biden committed crimes involving classified documents. He held on to them illegally. He disseminated them to other people without security clearances illegally. But no, we can't uh, we can't prosecute him. We can't indict him. We can't put him on trial because he's too senile and he'll be seen sympathetically by the jury. So you've got Joe Biden and the White House saying you can't use TikTok. And why did the federal government say don't use TikTok? I'll tell you one of the few things I uh, actually agree with Joe Biden about is TikTok. TikTok is an app that you can run on on uh, devices like phones and pads and that sort of thing. I have never had TikTok on my phone or pads. My wife doesn't use it either. We encourage everybody we know to stay as far away from TikTok as possible. And if you say, well, that's because you have a dog in the fight. Actually, I don't have a dog in the fight. I mean, yes, we have an Instagram account, a Facebook account, and a Twitter account, or an X account these days. But uh, the reason we do that is to better communicate with this program. We can put pictures up there. We can put video up there. It's very handy. Would it be nice to be on TikTok? I suppose so. It would get us out in front of more people. The problem is TikTok itself is a Chinese communist spy device. And the Chinese communists in, May, in uh, Beijing would like to have you put TikTok on every device you own, which is why the U.S. government has actually told federal agencies, we don't want that stuff on any of the devices you have that are owned by the U.S. government because it's a spy device for the Chinese communists. So having said that it was a spy device, the Joe Biden campaign has decided to use TikTok. And why? Because about one third of all Americans between the ages of 18 and 29 are on TikTok. It's very popular. So you've got a third of all relatively younger voters, voting age people who are on TikTok. And so the White House says, or the, the Biden campaign says, Let's go ahead and use it, even though we understand it's a Chicom spy device. And maybe, maybe it's because Joe Biden doesn't worry about that. I mean, after all, he's already bought and paid for by Beijing. He's already giving away the store to uh, his Chinese communist buddies. His family, the Biden crime family, has already received literally tens of millions of dollars from communist China and from companies within China that are controlled by the, the communist government of China. So why would he mind giving away information? They already own him. But here's the problem for the rest of America. It sends a very interesting message because the re-election campaign for Joe Biden is using a device, even though the White House has banned government agencies from using it at all. So he put up that video, uh, the one that I just played uh, the audio from for you, complaining about the cost of chips and the cost of candy and the cost of ice cream and how packages are shrinking, and he calls it shrinkflation. He's trying to divert any attention he can from what's actually going on. Joe Bidenomics has driven prices to insane levels. You've got American families who can barely buy groceries, barely buy the fuel they need to be able to get to work or to do their business. And these days, with uh, delivery service platforms like Lyft and Uber and Grubhub and the, and the like, you've got an awful lot of people who have to have an operating vehicle. And the fact is, most of those people, the vast majority of them, can't begin to be able to afford 
the cost of an electric vehicle, even with all the federal subsidies built into it. And I also told you last week that the American automobile industry has said we can't afford the EVs because Ford Motor Company loses about fifty or $60,000 on every single EV vehicle that it sells. And yet, uh, and yet Joe Biden does, doesn't seem to be troubled at all by the cost of fuel, by the cost of food, or anything else. But Biden HQ, that account on TikTok, which, as I said, I won't be able to ex- access because while I have all the other social media, I'm not going to go anywhere near TikTok because I do agree with Joe Biden and his administration. It's a dangerous device being used by the communist government of China to spy on Americans and to gather the kind of information that probably wouldn't have been all that valuable a couple of decades ago. But with artificial intelligence, with the ability to harvest massive amounts of data and then sort through it and find data that is going to be either commercially useful or even militarily useful. Joe Biden's TikTok account now has about 30,000 followers. That video that the, I just played for you, the audio, um, uh, he uh, he received 3.4 million views and 356,000 likes for that video. People agreeing with Joe Biden that they're shrinking the size of ice cream cartons. Like, that's the biggest concern in the world. TikTok has always claimed that it will not share U.S. user data with the Chinese government. Now, I don't believe them because every company that does business in communist China has to share its information with the communist government. Now, they may have found a way rhetorically around it the way Apple and other companies have found a way around it rhetorically, saying, we don't save your your data and share it with the communist government. Instead, they have a third party that does it instead. But that doesn't actually avoid the risk. About a third of American young people, 18 to 29, are using TikTok right now, and Joe Biden has decided it may actually save him from a loss this coming November and that's assuming that Joe Biden is still the Democrats' candidates come uh, candidate come November. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. We've always done it. We always will. If you want to send an email, talk at LarsLarson.com. You can also vote in our poll on X. It used to be called Twitter. Now it's X. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show. And you can check out our Instagram feed. All the other social media we put up, every single interview on the program is free of charge. You'll find it at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Honestly provocative talk for America. Back in just a moment. The Lars Larson Show. A message from Lars. I'd like to apologize to anyone I've not offended yet. Please be patient. I'll get to you shortly. Who's next? 
This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get to your phone calls and emails in a moment. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And, of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line. And when it comes to economics issues, we like to consult with Veronique Desrougis, who is a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Veronique, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. So I played for my audience the uh, the audio of President Joe Biden going on and on and on about what he calls shrinkflation, oh, which I think yes. is something we've known about. I, what do you think about the fact that this is this is where the president chose to spend his his time in this TikTok message? So it's kind of funny that you would say this because I just actually finished my weekly column on this. And one of the things that I said was, I just think it's weird that he would bring that this is what he would talk about. For one thing, his administration has been working really hard to try to kind of make voters believe that because inflation rates have gone down, prices have that it meant that prices had gone down too, which we know is not the case, right? Food is still roughly on average 20% more expensive than it was, shelter 41%. Um, the price of milk is, 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 I think, 18% more than it was before the pandemic. And, and so it just, it's so bizarre uh, that he's going against message because their whole thing is like, look, uh, you should be feeling great because inflation rates are, are low. And, and, of course, you and I know and your listeners will know that, you know, inflation rates just mean that prices are not being down means, you know, prices they're are not going, going up as fast as they as they're still going they up. They're just not going up as fast. Exactly. So that's the first thing that I was thinking. And I was thinking in the end, I guess it was kind of just a really bad attempt to um, to divert the attention from the fact that the reason why prices had gone down so significantly since it took office was because of his excessive spending. And he was just trying to kind of like, like Bidenomics, come up with an easy explanation, uh, you know, like, you know, shrinkflation and it's all companies' greeds and I mean, it's so bizarre. It's very strange. Well, it is. And, and Veronique, look, when, when I see him talk about this, I've been aware of that this kind of thing has been going on since I was a kid, where they say, well, weren't the candy bars bigger uh, last year or two years ago or five years ago? And you say, yeah, they were. And they made them smaller and kept the price about the same. So you're buying a smaller candy bar for the same amount of money or a slightly bigger candy bar for a lot more money. Okay, that's been going on for a long, long time. But I think what it allows him to do is say, you see these sneaky companies, they're out to rip you off. And then when you go to the store and buy food, you say, gee, my food bill is high, not because the federal government spent a massive amount of money and still yep. spending a massive amount of money. They're high because of sneaky companies out there trying to gouge me, which has been kind of his his rap all along yeah, on prices. Right, it's, it's not his the, fault. It's it's conniving by the by the private yeah, corporations. And, and it's and it's worth noting that shrinkflation is absolutely correct, but usually it's a a way for company to respond to inflation pressures, right? And those yeah. stories, like he also talked in his TikTok uh, video, he talked about uh, the price of ice cream, but that that was actually 
this is a story that started in, in 2021, and, and the press has reported on it. And in 2022, um, same thing. Um, uh, it's been explained. It was, it, the, the, the phenomenon has been explained um, about why this is happening. It's, it's happening. It's one of the ways that basically kind of companies try to, to deal with the price of increased inflation. And they know that some people would rather have less, uh, less goods, less chips. Even though that's actually kind of that, that was really a silly argument. But um, less, um, less, uh, well, you know, smaller candy bar. Then actually have the only option that you have is a candy bar that's the same size as before, but significantly bigger. So then you or, can't or even more costly. A candy bar. Be- because I could see exactly. somebody who says, "Look, I want a snack." Well, what do you want to pay for a snack? About a buck. Okay, this is how much candy bar you get for a buck. So we'll give you that much candy bar for a buck. So you're exactly. buying, you know, this This is the Companies treat you want. Companies are not stupid. They know, yeah. they, know, they know, I mean, this is kind of the most advantageous way of for them to deal with inflation. And it's not... And it's really not that they're trying to trick us. I mean, it doesn't mean that some companies are not saying, "Hey, how about we do this and try to and try to but to try to kind of fool some people." At the same time, I mean, it costs money to change their entire production process, right? I mean, yep. it's not as if they can just like on a dime change the way they were doing things. They're trying to survive in a high environment, a high inflation environment, which would definitely was a high. Uh, inflation environment that started in 2021 when the administration was denying there was inflation, when the Federal Reserve was denying there was inflation, where everyone was like, it's all transitory, it's all supply chain, and then no one did anything, let it go, and then finally started, you know, reacting in, in March 2022. And by then, a lot of the, a lot of the inflation effect had, had, had taken root. And and it was kind of too late. And then on top of that, you 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 end up with you know higher interest rates. Um, so it's like it's been rough. And and but but again, I'm just really surprised because they're they've been like trying to say, look, inflation is down. You sh- you people should be happy. So why bring back the fact that actually prices are high, or or that you're getting less for. For the uh, for the money that you pay, because either I mean, he doesn't bizarre. know what he's doing, or his campaign doesn't know. You know, Veronique, you spurred an idea, and I want to see if I can test it on you because okay. uh, you're done with your column, so you're you're not going to take. But if you want to take some of my ideas and throw them in your column, feel free. Do you you are promised by the federal government a defense of this nation? Are you paying any less for defense spending this year than say five years ago? No, no, and you know, do you, it's, do you it's have funny. a bigger do you have a bigger military today than you had five years ago? Well, I mean, in nominal in nominal dollars, we we do, I guess. No, we but, have a dollar um, figure mean, military, but we have yeah. fewer ships. We have we yeah, can't even fill the ranks well, of the military. Now, wh- where you live, are you paying less in the taxes that fund public safety no, in your city? Not. You're paying more, but you when you I call nine one one, how's the wait time? Yeah, exactly. It's longer, but you and I think alike because. I, I I retweeted the uh, the president's thing, um, um, but, uh, message, and I said this would work better if you replaced company by government because what usually you get in the market is you get better product products at lower prices. There's 
you know, uh, productivity, efficiency, and, and the competition drives prices down and quality up. With government, you get exactly the same. Look <laughs> at poverty. It's like we've spent, we've, we've, what, we've multiplied by hundreds of billions of dollars the amount of money we spend on, on allegedly fighting poverty. And, but we claim that, you know, poverty hasn't budged at all. I mean, that would never fly. I mean, a company that says, you know, we're, we're, we're charging you more and more and more and more and more and more. And, and, and the, the quality of stuff is going down would not stay in business very long. No, it wouldn't at all. Veronique, thank you very much. That's Veronique Derougy. She's at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. I'm going to think on this because I think the government, government is now delivering a shrunken product for the same price or even more money than you were paying just a couple of years ago. So maybe Joe Biden should be focused on the services his government delivers at a certain price and not the cost of ice cream in a carton. you got the Lars Larson Show. This musical message to anyone who wants to indoctrinate our school children. Hey, teacher, Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get your phone calls and emails on this Monday. If you want to jump into what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every single day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Well, last week, there was a story, and it lit a lot of you up, and it had to do with a mother. Uh, a mother in Michigan who was convicted of a crime. And I want to tell you something that for probably 30 years, I've been hearing people, depending on the, the crimes that happen, involving children, involving juveniles under the age of 18. I can't count the number of times people have said to me, isn't there a way to hold the parents responsible in cases like this? Now, that's not every case involving a juvenile killer or a juvenile criminal. But for a lot of us, the gut reaction is, yes, we know the child did this. But a child in the eyes of the law, you know, could they have been stopped by some proper action by their parents? So when a jury decided to find this woman, Jennifer Crumbly, guilty of involuntary manslaughter in four deaths that were caused by her son with a gun, she didn't pull the trigger, she didn't hold the gun. A lot of us, and I looked at this and said, yeah, I think she should bear some of the responsibility. She's now looking at potentially decades in prison. She hasn't been sentenced yet, but she has been found guilty of four counts of involuntary manslaughter. And I thought I'd talk to our favorite former district attorney, and that's my friend of many years, Josh Marquis. Josh, welcome back. Thank you, Lars. What do you it think of the idea issue. generally uh, in the right circumstances of holding parents responsible as Jennifer Crumbly was held responsible for her son's crimes? Generally, I think it's a good idea. It's what in the law we call vicarious liability, meaning the, the, the legal responsibility for the acts of another that you didn't actually commit yourself 
or actively promote. I mean, obviously, somebody who's the getaway driver in an armed robbery or somebody who knowingly provides the gun, knowing someone's going to commit an armed robbery or murder, they're what we call you know, active accomplices. This is different. I, I don't know the specific facts of this case. I am assuming it's more the, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the incident that happened in uh, the Kuwait. The incident was in November of 21, so about uh, two, two and a half, uh, almost three years ago. And uh, it was. Uh, well, I was she, trying to think of the, 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 the Connecticut um, shooting. Oh, um, Newtown, Newtown, Connecticut? Was, yeah, it was. It was case, uh, although Sandy the, Elementary. The mother, yeah, the mother was was killed. In fact, I yeah, believe, she by, was murdered by, by her son, which is probably how he got the guns because his mother kept her guns locked up in a safe. But I don't know if he held right. a gun to her face or if he knew the combination to the safe. But uh, uh, Adam Lanza well, got a that, hold of the that, guns that, that would way. Be different. Yeah, that would be different. I prosecuted a case, for example, in Astoria about fifteen years ago, where two women took uh, another woman who they were not related to into their home essentially as a boarder, but they, but this woman was in a wheelchair. And ultimately this woman ended up dying horribly alone and basically unable to rise from her bed. And I prosecuted them successfully for manslaughter on the theory that a duty existed and that they knowingly breached it. Now, they didn't do anything to actively cause her death, but they did basically refuse to do anything that allowed her to get out of bed get to her medication or medical treatment. And this is the same issue that I'm sure this jury had to face, which is, what, A, what's the duty of care? That When you're talking about parents and kids, there is an elevated duty of care. I mean, that's, parents are responsible, and they can be civilly. A lot of people will say, well, why can't we sue them? Well, you can, and it's not uncommon for parents to be sued successfully when their uh, children up to age 18 do some horrible act because the idea is the children can't be held liable themselves, and the parents often are liable for them. But criminal responsibility is different. It's, it's going one step farther, and then the issue is, what did the parent do um, other than well, you know, actively helping? I, I can roll down some of what she did. It's, un, it's undisputed that she and her husband provided him with a pistol, bought him a pistol, and this was a few days before the shooting. And so she knew she'd bought a pistol. She failed to secure it in any way, shape, or form. You know, based on the testimony, it sounds like she just gave him the gun and said, I bought you a gun as a gift. Here's the gun. And did not seek right. to secure it in any way. Then she got called to school because the school said, hey, your kid is drawing pictures that appear to be violent images featuring guns. And sitting there in that meeting, she did she did should she have said to the principal, by the way, uh, I just bought him a gun a couple of days ago. She did not. Uh, and the school screwed up, too, because they had the kid in their hands uh, and they had his backpack. And at some point they decided mom wasn't going to take him home, which she probably should have, to sit down and talk to him and to locate the gun. In fact, she might have told the school authorities, by the way, I got him a gun the other day and I have no idea where it is. She didn't do that. So the school handed him his backpack back. And ironically enough, the, the principal of the school <laughs> testified that when he handed it back, he said, gee, this backpack's really heavy. Well, it was really heavy because it had a pistol and extra ammunition in it. And then subsequent to that, uh, this, this teenager, uh, Ethan Grumbly, uh, murdered four people. So now his, his mom's been convicted. His dad goes on trial in March. I just wanted to know if we're going to start seeing more of this as, as the system starts to hold parents more responsible. 
Well, again, the system has always held parents civilly responsible. What's new is holding them criminally responsible. And in many of the cases that your listeners are familiar with, I mean, take one of the biggest tragedies in Oregon, the Kip Kinkle case. I mean, Kinkle's parents purchased him the gun. Kinkle's parents knew a great deal. Now, he ultimately murdered his parents. Kinkle's own sister is one of the biggest advocates for releasing her brother and has, you know, been very, very public about how she feels that he's essentially a victim of the system. You know, we don't even need to go there. But um, it's fairly rare that we, you actually see parents being held accountable, but I don't think it's unreasonable in the right set of circumstances. Yeah. I mean, if a parent just did nothing and was a crappy parent, that's one thing. But if they enable the crime and they, for example, are told, you know, we're really concerned your son is expressing violent ideation, you don't know of anything that might cause it to be more of, and, and you just bought him a, a handgun? That, I mean, we don't sell people under 18 handguns in the United States right. for good reason. Well, and, and in this case, it, it sounds like, I guess what I'm wondering is it's being described in the reports out of Michigan last week as an unprecedented case. That is a parent found criminally liable in the deaths of four people. I don't have you ever heard of a case as specific as that? No, I I don't think it's unprecedented. I think it's unusual. Um, A case that a lot of your listeners may be familiar with that got quite a bit of press. Was a was a case not in, well it wasn't it wasn't involving gun it was a case of a very it happened to be attractive teenage girl in Massachusetts who had struck up a relationship with a young man. And- you know what, Josh? Unfortunately, you started a long story at the beginning of a break, but I appreciate you coming on. That's the Josh Lars Larson, Larson Show. Plan to get your calls at eight six six Hey Lars. 